where is the mutual benefit in any kind of connection between us as an organization and them as a target market. A lot of people don't do that legwork. And so when you don't do that legwork, you end up doing piecemeal things. And when you do piecemeal things, it's very hard to stand up hand on heart and justify to your management about why that was such a great idea. Welcome to Marketing Builder, the show where you'll get lots of little bricks of marketing advice to help you build up your marketing and your business. Drawing on over 20 years of marketing experience, your host, Daniel Oyston, will dive into a topic and provide you with short, sharp and to-the-point marketing advice that you can apply to your marketing straight away. Welcome to Marketing Builder. Let's get on with the show. Hey, hey, legends, pumped to have you joining me for this episode of Marketing Builder and also Gail Hopkins, Managing Director at Make It Happen, whose NFP marketing services equip non-profit organisations with the professional resources they need to stand out in a busy sector, helping to raise awareness and much-needed funding. Now, this episode is the sixth in an eight-part series answering listener questions, and while this show is released every two weeks, for those listeners who submitted questions, what I will do for you when I'm organised enough in advance is send you a copy of the show prior to release so you don't have to wait any longer than you have to for that expert advice that you're looking for. Now, speaking of expert advice, for each listener question submitted, each of the eight, they've become a whole episode each. And I've invited some of the amazing marketers in my network to come on the show and provide some different points of view and advice for you. You'll also remember that I mentioned I'm giving away a copy of Bob Regneris's book, the fourth edition of The Ultimate Guide to Facebook Advertising. And to be eligible, all you had to do was hit me up with a marketing question to answer on the show. So one of the eight people who have submitted a question will win that book and I'll announce a winner at the end of this eight-part series and get the book in the post to them quick smart. As such, it's now time for the listener questions, and I think this will actually end up being the sixth and the seventh listener questions as they come from two different people, but in the same organization. That's Palliative Care ACT, and they come by the way of Dave Burnett and Tracy Gillard. And Dave asked, what's the best way to argue the return on investment of marketing for NFPs and are paid advertisements on social media worth it? And then Tracy asked, our charity's purpose is to advocate and support quality palliative care. However, Death is not an easy sell. What advice do you have? Are marketing something that is not talked about or it's taboo across many cultures? As I said, Gail Hopkins, Managing Director at Make It Happen, whose NFP marketing services equip non-profit organisations with the professional resources they need to stand out in a busy sector, helping to raise awareness and much-needed funding, joins us now to help answer the questions from Dave and Tracy. Here's Gail. Gail, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about your agency, Make It Happen. So Make It Happen, uh, we're a full service marketing creative agency focusing on B2B and not-for-profit. We've been going since 2000. That's a lot of years of experience in this space. Everything except advertising, really. We do everything else that's below the line. Some of our clients obviously play in the digital advertising space as part of their overall strategy, but we're not an advertising agency. It's all about return on marketing investment for us and have been for a long, long time. 
You mentioned your experience and focus on NFP. Now, Gail, I have two questions for you, and that's because of your experience in the NFP space. The first one comes from Dave Burnett from Palliative Care ACT. And Dave asks, what's the best way to argue the return on investment of marketing for NFPs and are paid advertisements on social media really worth it? Now, really, that's two questions. So let's start with the first part. What's the best way to argue that return on investment that executives are looking for on marketing when you're working in an NFP? At the end of the day, you have to determine who are you trying to influence with the marketing that you're doing? What is the purpose of that marketing and how does it kind of play into supporting the overall business objectives of the company? So it's about not being... I guess not being too influenced by, you know, trends and really starting to think about how does that play against who my target audiences are? What do I know about them? Have I done the work of understanding what their motivations are? Do I know how my organisation needs to connect to them? You know, where is the mutual benefit in any kind of connection between us as an organisation and them as a target market? A lot of people don't do that legwork. And so when you don't do that legwork, you end up doing piecemeal things. And when you do piecemeal things, it's very hard to stand up hand on heart and justify to your management about why that was such a great idea. I think one of the advantages we have right now in marketing across the board is that return on marketing investment comes down to being able to measure how it was before and what it, what it has happened since. And so many organisations use largely to depend on digital marketing as their platform to do that and there's a squillion marketing measurement tools out there you can tell how successful were you what was your analytics like before you started and what was your analytics like afterwards chief executives and financial people and anybody else who holds the purse strings love to see graphs so I mean we've never been gifted with more tools as marketers than the generation of graphs and so you know, I think you can you can justify that by saying that you're targeting the right people with the right message to generate the right outcome. Well, what I wanted to ask as a bit of a follow-up to that is when you talk about the lack of legwork that people do in this space, but that there is a real need for understanding on a number of different fronts about your target audience and how to connect and what you're trying to get them to do. How important is it if you actually do the legwork and there is some sort of understanding in the organisation that it's actually documented? It has to be documented, but it also has to be revisited. So we're living, a, you know, particularly in the not-for-profit space, you know, there's thousands of them. So just because you're big doesn't mean that you have an advantage. So in lots of areas in not-for-profit, it becomes cause-related, issue-related, um, timeliness-related. So unless you continue to visit what you're doing, what your competition's doing, what the overall marketplace kind of uh, sentiment is doing and updating that on a reg, you know, re- relatively regular basis, you can still do all the legwork, but you're following the little legs in the wrong direction. So, you know, that kind of stuff is incredibly important. Well, Dave's second part to his question was around social media and are paid ads on social media for not-for-profits worth it? Go. it's hard for any business not to feel the pull of social media, if not simply for the pure volume of people that are on social media, I know that you'll probably say a good consultant's answer and say that it depends. And of course, it totally does. I agree. But maybe you could provide some examples or context where maybe it wouldn't be a good idea for social media ads and then maybe where it might be a good idea for some social media ads. Again, it comes down to 
What are you trying to get people to do? You're, at, you're putting a social media ad up for what purpose? Because unless you can drive some kind of connection, some kind of action from an ad to something else, like are you driving them to the website because you want them to download a report? Do you want them to register to come to an event that you're having? Do you want them to donate? Do you want them to engage with like a, like a, a really recent example of something that you've done that's amazing, that's going to change the world? What is the focus of it? So, you know, to generally run paid advertising as awareness in a not-for-profit space where there is so much competition, you've got to be kidding. It doesn't work. I mean, and there are a lot of incentives from organizations like Google to help support not-for-profits in terms of giving them funding, seed funding for advertising so they can try some different things and do some different stuff in that area. But unless you can be, unless you can be something that's memorable, you've seen anybody who uses social media sees how many sponsored posts there are. How are you going to stand out in that space? What have you got that's different? And, and the other side of it is, what does your organisation allow you to do that is a bit different? You know, a lot of stuff is you're constrained by it. You know, you can't, you know, there's a, do you have permission? If you're trying to tell, you know, if you're trying to share stories of things that you've done that changed people's lives or improved people's lives, I mean, as in the case with palliative care, do you have permission to do that? Is something that the organisation wants to say and is that something that they want represented? And, you know, so... I think that there's, it's, it's a really good option to boost engagement for a particular purpose. But you can't just, it's not the easy set and forget way of increasing awareness, trying to make sure that you get, you know, it, it doesn't work like that. It's not a set and forget thing. While Marketing Builder is the name of this podcast, it's also the name of an awesome product that can help you sort through all the fluff of marketing advice out there and focus on the important stuff. Marketing Builder is a card-based system supplemented by online video lessons that walks you through, step-by-step, step, the most important things in a marketing plan, such as buyer personas, pipeline analysis, objectives, strategy, goals, budgets, and the fun and sexy stuff, the marketing tactics. And there's over a hundred of them for you to consider using. The card sorting process results in a visual representation of your marketing, where you can easily see how people will engage with your marketing as they move from awareness through to a customer or client. Whether you're a small business owner trying to develop a marketing plan that you can actually use and are confident in on that very limited budget, or a seasoned marketer wanting others in your organization to have real buy-in and engagement with your marketing, then Marketing Builder is perfect for you. Visit marketingbuilder.net for more information. Now, the reason you're listening. Let's head back to the show. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I have two questions for you, and the second one comes from Palliative Care ACT as well by way of Tracy Gillard. And Tracy asks, our charity's purpose is to advocate and support quality palliative care. However, death is not an easy sell. What advice do you have around marketing something that's not talked about or is taboo across many cultures? And for me, Gail, it's an interesting question because so many charities are about raising money to treat the cause, to find a cure or to reduce impact around something. But palliative care is about making the inevitable death a better experience for many people in our communities what advice do you have for them in terms of their marketing their fundraising activities essentially when the subject is not one that people really want to talk about and engage with 
you know, I guess it's the reality that people, a lot of, a lot of people and lots of families and lots of connections to people have to go through this at some point. It's a, it's a, it's kind of like buying funeral insurance, isn't it? Something you don't want to have to do, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of people out there who are, you see a lot of advertising about funeral directors. So it's a fundamental thing that is, exists. So I guess first thing I would say is it shouldn't be seen as a taboo topic because it's a, it's a real topic, you know, and what you're providing to people is an opportunity to have as peaceful, as qual high quality exit from this world as possible, which should be able to be told in such a way that it becomes a positive story rather than a like hide it under the bed and hope it doesn't happen to me story. So, you know, death is a part of the life of the life's journey for everybody. So I think in that particular case, when somebody's suffering from an illness or, you know, we, we have a lot of instances where, you know, this is the outcome for many of many, many people who who have had other kinds of things happen to them in their life. If I was the marketing person in that organization and the organization was behind the fact that it's about people. I would be trying to get people to tell their story of how palliative care has improved the life of not only the person that's receiving the care, but the family who care about that person who's receiving the care. So that's kind of, you know, it's about people telling stories about people. That's what the general public engage with. It's what gives people hope at a time when there's little hope. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of optimistic ways that that, that message can be presented to the public. And I, I don't think people are um, naive enough to think that that may or may not happen to and them. And, Gail, is that storytelling all around trying to tell that story and, and really connect with the, the emotion and the comfort and the peace and the exit of it all rather than the pain of it all, do you think? Well, I think it's about giving people dignity and quality of life, isn't it? That's the message. And, you know, I don't see this being played out with the, with the harps in the background and the dim lighting and the whatever else, right? I mean, I think this is about a story of being able to give people that hope that, yes, you know, life-ending illness is, is a sad, sad thing. But if you can be in an environment where you've got good care around you, the people care that you're as comfortable as you can be, it gives your family a little bit of respite, a little bit of support at a time when things are really bad, then I think that that's the message. And the way that that's represented needs to be done in such a way that it's relatable. So we're not talking about cinematic experiences here. We're talking about having, you know, real people being interviewed about how this has made a difference to the life of the person whose who's life is ending and the people of the, that are being left behind who are going to feel as though, you know, this is, this is a made, that part of people's lives are a major burden for those around them. This helps them with that burden. Thankfully, I haven't had an experience, but I've had friends who go through palliative care and they also feel as like they're, they're um, imposing their requirements are taking over their other family members' lives. And so this is a way of being able to say everybody's helping here. So, you know, I, I don't know, I would just, I would probably take that, but, but that depends on the organisation and, and how willing they are to be able to do that and how how they share that um, request 
for content in the nicest possible way with the people who are going through the experience. For me as well, that's the key. You mentioned it earlier before and it is that that permission, but trying to get people to engage in that content creation and the storytelling during what is a very, very difficult time, Just for not just for the person in palliative care, but their support around them as well. It potentially might be the last thing that they really want to be doing, but it is important work because it will help smooth the way and engage people going forward, won't it? Yeah. I'm not sure that that kind of activity would be a fundraising activity, though. It's an awareness activity. You know, I'm not sure that that you would tie some kind of ask on the end of something like that. But but I think, you know, realistically, it's about they have an opportunity to increase awareness of the importance of the role it plays. And I, I guess that helps in terms of overall funding from, you know, government bodies and you know and health and health providers in in the importance of this of this service well in terms of tying calls to action for donations to the end of things like this that they might be creating traditionally a lot of charities do it a lot of nfps do it they will create something that's that's highly emotional that will bring a tear to people's eye as you said before tug on the heartstrings is that a legitimate way to go around asking for donations and support or or is there a better tack to take you've seen over time i mean we can we can all remember depending on how old we are we can all remember horrific images of of african children in destitute situations being shared with us by you know unicef and whatever else so i think I think there's there's a place for that, but I also think that there is the place for optimism and growth and change. So, I mean, we do a lot of work in Indigenous um, not-for-profits and the focus and the preferred focus with some of the providers that we work with is about the opportunity to change lives, change courses of lives with education and healthcare and housing and things like that, rather than talk about, you know, the, the destruction of the family unit and, and you know, the, the issues that we know, um, Fortunately, goes on in, in many environments like that. But, you know, let's focus on the upside and what can be done to change that process rather than just deal with it as it is. So I kind of see that as being a really positive way of being able to let people know that these things don't always have to be that way. There are ways that we can we can try to implement change and that change costs money to do and you can be part of that change by engaging with it and being part of the solution rather than, you know, crying about the problem. I 100% agree. That's great advice. Gail Hopkins, if Tracy or David or anybody else wants to get in contact with you and continue this chat, get some advice, maybe work with your organisation, what can they do? Where can they go? So we obviously have a website. So Make it happen is mih.com.au. They can certainly go there and have a little look, see at what we do. We spend a lot of time talking to people and giving advice. A lot of a lot of our conversations are about trying to get people to improve the way they're doing things and doing it themselves. We we're not one of those agencies that are, I'm not going to end up living in the Bahamas anytime soon, Daniel. But um, I quite enjoy what we do. We do selective projects on pro bono basis for people who really don't have the internal resources to do things, and we try to help them people out. But ultimately, it's about making a difference and, you know, that's what I'm kind of happy to do. Excellent. Gail Hopkins, Managing Director at Make It Happen. Thanks for joining us and sharing your expertise and advice and answering some listener questions. It's been much appreciated. Very welcome, Daniel. Enjoy your day. 
Great chat with Garland. Great to hear that even though the questions come from the NFP space and the advice is around not-for-profits, there is so much marketing advice that is exactly the same no matter what industry or organization you're working in. Things like know your target audience and understand your why. It's so important. And that's why I love the snippet I selected to kick off the show because it is so typical of so many businesses. They just do piecemeal marketing tactics without ever really stopping and understanding their audience and setting some proper goals. Of course, head along to mih.com.au if you'd like to learn more about Gail's team and the work that they do. That's a wrap for episode 42 and the sixth and seventh parts of our little eight-part listener question series. I'm hoping that these build a really cool, great little resource for us all to visit whenever we need some advice and some inspiration for our marketing. Loved this episode. Good. Make sure you don't miss the next one and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever it is you listen to your podcast. I'd also love to hear from you what marketing you're crushing or you're working on something cool or maybe you're finding something a little bit tough at the moment, you're stuck, you just want some inspiration. Maybe you have a question about marketing. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N or follow Marketing Builder on Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Marketing Builder or the handle M-K-T-B-L-D. Until next time, may your marketing be awesome and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of Marketing Builder. This show was developed, hosted, and produced by Daniel Oyston from Content Grasshopper, the creator of Marketing Builder. Marketing Builder is the easy-to-use, step-by-step card-sorting system for cutting through all the marketing fluff out there and to help you build a marketing plan you are actually on board with. For more information, visit marketingbuilder.net or contentgrasshopper.com.au. Thanks for listening.